Uh, all right. Well, um, let's pray before we get into the word. Well, Lord, thank you for uh, that awesome worship, Lord. And we just thank you and praise you, Lord, for just filling this place with your presence. And I pray, God, now that you would speak to us through your word. And Lord, we are uh, truly blessed, uh, Lord, to have your complete word, Lord, uh, the truth. And uh, we're just so thankful that we can ingest it, Lord. We could just get it into our minds and our hearts and really allow it to transform us. So we thank you for that and praise you for our time together in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And uh, I, I mentioned these verses, some of these verses, last week when we were talking about um, the church and the culture and uh, really wondering if the church was getting swept along with the culture. So these verses, we shared them as an example of, um, you know, what the church looked like back in the first century, back in Thessalonica. And, you know, it's interesting, and we're talking about looking at them as an example, and hopefully we'll get there this morning, but in verses um, 7 and 8, You know why it didn't look familiar? I was in the wrong chapter. Ah, there we go. Yes, and it is 6 and 7. So Paul says that you became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word with much tribulation, with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. So that, those two places pretty much make up the country of Greece. So if this church could be an example to um, the country of Greece and that whole region, they certainly can be an example for us today as we look at um, the church and really um, how, to keep, um, how to keep from getting caught up and swept away by the culture. And it's not that difficult, as we're going to see, it's pretty straightforward. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make reference to... Uh, this process of sanctification that we're going through, uh, you know, our life as believers. And I'm going to highlight that, that phrase as we go through. And, you know, the point really is to grow more and more into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. That's what that process of sanctification is all about. And we're all in it. And, um, you know, we're all in it, but we're all in different places in it. And uh, we'll talk about that a little bit as we get, get into um, the context and into the verses that we're going to look at. Just a little bit of background um, about Thessalonica, the church there. Um, Paul and uh, his companions, we know for sure it was Luke and Silas. I'm not quite, doesn't mention other folks that were with them, but there's a group. Um, and they were on their second missionary journey, and Paul is made his way into Thessalonica, and they planted a church there. And uh, you can read about that in Acts 17, verses 1 through 10. And they had to leave in a hurry. And Paul um, was escorted out of a lot of cities um, in a hurry uh, because of uh, the message and the rejection of the message. And, um, you know, it's no different uh, today 
than it was back then. People reject the gospel. Some of them reject it just casually, but others get really upset about it. And, um, you know, Paul's life was in danger. So, um, you know, he leaves uh, Thessalonica. Uh, The first opportunity that he has where things settle down is when he makes it to Corinth and he sends Timothy back to Thessalonica to find out what's going on in the church, how they're doing. You know, in doing that, um, Timothy comes back to Paul, has some questions, that church has some questions, so Paul writes this letter. And it's interesting, Thessalonica is about the same size as Rochester. It's kind of funny that that coincidentally happens as we're using them as an example. The population back then was close to 200,000. It was a Roman province in Macedonia, and it was actually located on this highway, and it was the name of the highway was um, the uh, Ignatian, the Ignatian Way, and it extended from Rome all the way to the Orient. So there were a lot of people passing in and out of Thessalonica, and not to mention that it was a thriving seaport um, at the same time. So it was a um, really an active city, people in and out, all different kinds of culture going through the city. Um, it was a self-ruled city. They were exempt from a lot of the restrictions by Rome. And like I said, there were a lot of um, international people traveling through the city, um, religions, different religions, different cultural influences. And it really reminds us a lot of today and the things that we face today. So with that said, let's get into, uh, let's get into the first couple verses, and we'll uh, just see how far we get. So verse 1, Paul and Silas and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalon- Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's interesting It says, in God, the church of Thessalonica, in God. And what a place to be, right? What a place to be is in the Lord. You know, the the church of uh, Calvary Chapel of Rochester, in the Lord, right? We're in the Lord. There's no better place to be than in the Lord. And then Paul uses that phrase, the Lord Jesus Christ. And really, this encapsulates in this phrase everything about his divinity and his purpose, and who he is. Um, His name is not um, the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, The Lord is a divine title. He's our Lord, not just our Savior, right? So he's the Lord, he's our Lord that we submit to. And we submit to him, and throughout this process of sanctification. Um, Jesus is his name, right? Jesus of Nazareth, Joshua, God has become our salvation, And Christ uh, is his mission. Now, when we think that his, you know, some people think that um, Christ is his name, but it's not. It's the word that means anointed in the Greek, but it's from the Hebrew word Messiah. So Jesus, the Messiah, the one who came to save us from our sins and deliver us, that's his mission. So that phrase does encapsulate, encapsulate Um, everything about his divinity and his purpose as he came here on earth to redeem mankind. 
When it talks about grace and peace, uh, we know if you've read through the epistles that grace and peace go together. Grace first and then peace because without the grace of God, I mean, they really have no peace. Now, as you're going to see this morning, I have a weird way of looking at things from at times. So when I look at um, this word grace, um, you know, we all know that there's no such thing as cheap grace, right? We can all agree with that. To me, grace is the most demanding gospel that there is. So let me explain. If our performance is based strictly on the law and legalism, we can fail, right? So in failing and failing, we can eventually throw in the towel and quit. Just give up. But if our calling and relationship with the Lord is based on grace, that means that door never closes. That option's not there. That's why grace is the most demanding gospel. What it means is if I sin and I confess my sin, God is just and faithful to forgive me, and the Holy Spirit just encourages me to keep going on. Don't give up. Keep going forward. I'm with you. Everything that is happening is working out for your good. The door never closes when we live in that, when we live in that realm of grace, when we serve the Lord through that grace that he provides for us. You know, it's a process. And because of that, God never ends that work in our lives, conforming us into the image of Jesus Christ. You know, we look at grace and we think, oh, it's cushy. You know, I'm forgiven. You know, the, the grace of God has covered all my sins. But there is, at least the, my perspective, you know, there is, um, that takes some effort. And it, it's demanding at times because it, it just keeps telling me that don't quit. Don't give up. God hasn't given up on you so don't give up on him. Just keep going forward. Grace. There's no cheap grace. So let's read verses 2 through 5. So Paul says in verse 2, and what an example, you know, leading by example, he says, we give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you um, in our prayers. So Paul is, you know, constantly praying for the church. And I mentioned this earlier when we were uh, doing the announcements, you know, take a look around. This is the church. You guys are the church. Kind of get a mental picture of each other, and throughout the week, just pray. Pray for the church. Pray. You don't have to know everybody's need or everybody's issue. You know what? Just pray. Pray for the church. Pray that God strengthens the church. Pray that God uses the church. Pray that, you know, the church shines in the community, right, that we would be a light to the Penfield community. You know, that's part of the reason why we're here. So Paul is going to go on to say that um, in verse 3, let's read verses 3 through 5, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you. So remembering 
um, without ceasing your work of faith, hope, and love. Um, probably four or five years from this point in time, Paul is going to write uh, those three words again in 1 Corinthians thirteen thirteen. You know, now abides faith, hope, and love in these, these three, but the greatest of these is love. You know, Paul is commending them for their work of faith, their labor of love, and their patience and hope in the return of Jesus Christ. And I want to break those down a little bit and talk about them. That work of faith. So the description of faith as a work really was kind of settled um, by Jesus back in John chapter 6. And you don't have to turn there. I just want to read some verses from John 6. And let me get there. So John 6, 25 through 29. You know, Jesus is, the disciples had gone across the Sea of Galilee. Jesus walks out there during the storm, kind of settles everything out. They're on the other side now, and the people are looking for him. All right, they're looking for him for another meal, really. Okay, so he's going to talk about that, and it's going to relate to this work of faith. So in verse 25, it says, When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Now, it's interesting. Jesus isn't going to answer their question. He's going to tell them what they need to hear in context of, you know, why he did that miracle. So Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, You seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the, for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him the Father God has set his seal. Therefore they said to him, What shall we do so that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he has sent. So Jesus is telling them, in a sense, that the work of God is believing. is believing in Jesus Christ. That's the work. And in a sense, faith is an act. In this sense, it's an act or a deed, but it's, it's not a work um, by which we earn merit, right? Or we, we can boast in. In fact, this is the only work that we can perform without robbing Jesus of his glory and without denying our status as helpless sinners. The expression work of faith is the life of faith which follows conversion. You know, and James talks about this in uh, James chapter 2. And um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, you know, to read that. I was going to reference it, but I'm going to read it. You guys don't have to turn there. Let me read these verses. And it's really, this makes it, James makes it so obvious of what this work of faith looks like. And, you know, keep in mind, Paul is commending them for this work of faith. You know, it's important, church, to, to, to get to this place, to where we understand, and I mentioned this last week, salvation isn't the end of the road, it's the beginning. 
So, you know, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't stop there. Once we get saved, that's when the fun starts. That's when we really start pressing into the Lord and growing in our relationship with him. But it takes some, you know, there has to be some, um, there has to be something, some action accompanying, accompanying our faith. So in James chapter 2, starting in verse 18, it says, But some may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? You know, and it's almost like Jesus telling them, you know, it it really doesn't benefit you to follow me around to try to get more food. You know, it isn't about the physical. It's about the spiritual. And Jesus is telling them, that's what's important. That's what you should be focusing on. And Paul is commending the church for having that focus. And that's got to be our focus, church. Uh, But are you, um, let's see, verse 21. Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works. And as a result, the work of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and Abraham believed God. If I can just interject there, Abraham believed God and he did the work, right? The works, the work of faith, right? He's, he's living it out. Um, and God is reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith, so also faith without works is dead. So Paul's commending these, 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 this church about their work of faith the way they were living out their faith in spite of the circumstances. You know, and they were being persecuted. They're probably facing all of, all of or a lot of the same issues we face today with that the culture that they were in, with these new ideas going in and out of the city, different religions, different culture, different ways of thinking, different philosophies. But yet, Paul commends them for their work of faith. It didn't sidetrack the church. And whatever's going on in the world today, you know, wherever your head is at with all of that, that's not, gonna, that's not and shouldn't sidetrack the mission that we have, what God has called us to do. You know, and don't let, and don't let it. You know, let Paul commend you for the work of faith that you're doing. And then he goes on and he commends them for their labor of love. And this speaks of their, their service for God, Motivated by love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Excuse me. So this labor of love, it's a labor to the point of exhaustion. And um, you discover the meaning um, of this, and you probably have as you've been growing in the Lord. Um, You you start to understand what this means more and more. Um, The more involved you get in the church, the more involved you get in ministry. 
And think about it. When you're first saved, um, you're excited, right? I know when I got saved, I thought, wow, this is like heaven on earth. You know, it's great. I was forgiven. You know, the, the load of all of the craziness was gone. I knew for the first time ever that, that the Lord truly loved me. And no matter what I did, that he forgave me. You know, I just felt clean, you know. It was just amazing. And, you know, it's, it's exciting because, you know, we're more aware of what we got saved from than what we got saved to. Right. And then the longer we're saved, it's, um, you know, we start to realize more and more what we got, what we were called to or saved to. Um, You know, and then we begin to realize that, um, boy, you know, those those people in the church that were great. uh, Now, all of a sudden, some of them are like kind of rubbing me the wrong way or, you know, kind of hurt my feelings. You know, we can't now we're interacting more. Right, we're interacting more with people, and then what I realized, and I don't know if you guys realize it, but I was all of a sudden I was aware of um, the fact that God was putting those people in my life. That this was all part of God's plan to put me around people that um, might rub me the wrong way or might hurt my feeling a little bit, right? Um, but that's all part of growing in our faith. And when we talk about um, that, this labor of love, that's what it starts to look like. As we grow and begin to realize, we, we realize that there is a labor of love that leads to the point of exhaustion. And I'm not saying that um, it's work to love you guys. Well, I guess I am. I'm saying, isn't it, kind of, isn't it a little bit of effort sometimes, a little bit of labor uh, to love one another? And Paul is commending them, though. He's saying, you know, your labor of love. You know, they were, they were, in spite of their differences, there was a love that permeated the church for one another. Last week, we read these verses. And just by way of reminder, Matthew 22, verses 37 through 39, Jesus said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So there is a labor in loving God and our neighbor. There's a cost, right? There's a cost. That means we have, you know, we have to die to ourselves a little bit, right? This church in Thessalonica, this new church, Paul was only there for three weeks, Three Sabbaths, he was there. And, you know, some commentators say he was there longer. It just doesn't, um, it doesn't really record it. But there was a lot accomplished in that short period of time. The Lord did a lot of really cool things in that church. You know, we need to remember, church, that we're, this is agape love. Okay, so it's not a feeling, but it's, it's a commitment. It's a commitment to love one another as Christ loved us. This labor of love calls us to look past the outside and look into the heart. Church, we need to do that. That's part of a healthy church. And that's what Paul is saying. That he constantly remembered their, their work of faith, their labor of love. And 
This morning, this verse came to mind, and I stuck it in here. And this is um, this verse kind of it, it kind of it goes out of the. It, it's good good for us in the church, obviously, but it's really um, a message for us that are interacting out in the community, interacting with people, uh, people with different views, different ideologies. This is really an important message for the church. It's 2 Timothy 2, verses 24 through 26. And Paul tells Timothy, And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance, so they uh, may know the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. You know, that's the kind of heart and the mindset we need as we interact with those, you know, in the culture, those outside the church. You know, we don't, um, we don't want to pick a fight. We don't want to be rude. We don't want to be obnoxious. You know, what is Paul telling Timothy? We're called not to be, not to quarrel, but to be gentle, Right? And be able to teach, you know, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. Uh, Why? Because God perhaps will grant them repentance. You know, let the Holy Spirit do what he needs to do. We just need to deliver the message in a way that people are not going to be offended, but they're going to hear. They're going to listen. They might reject what you say, but they're still going to listen. So it's a process, this work of faith. This labor of love, it's all a process. And then this, this last one, um, then Paul commends them for their patient endurance while waiting for the return of Jesus Christ. So patience, if you've been saved a while, not even a while, a week, a month, um, you know, patience isn't just hanging around. You know, the, Paul's not talking about the church just hanging out, waiting for Jesus to come back and just um, not being challenged or stretched. This word means um, bearing up under the pressure. It's not idle waiting. It's an endured, it's an active enduring. Uh, the patience that, the patience that produces something, and that something is endurance in our lives. And, you know, Paul is commending them for this patience. And back in James, there's, um, in James chapter 1, you know, the book of James shows, shows us the mark of a mature Christian. But chapter 1 gives us a picture of a mature Christian it tells us a mature Christian is patient in trials. And there's four words in these first five verses or six verses that really um, give us a process of working through these trials. You know, and of course, you know, we're all excited. We're, we know the Lord could come back tomorrow, but, or today, right now. But the thing is, we still are living life now. And, you know, we need to be patient. We need to endure life, if you will, trials as we wait on the Lord to come back. Well, James gives us um, this awesome 
pro, you know, like a, it's just a process of working through our trials. And it relates because it'll give us a little clearer picture of what this patience looks like. So let's read um, verses two through six. So James says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience or endurance. And let that patience or endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So, verse 2, consider. Paul saying, James is saying, take, take inventory, consider, and then count it all joy. And the reason why we can count it all joy, this trial that we're, we're facing, as we consider it, we can count it all joy because in verse 3, that word knowing um, tells us that God is up to something, right? God uses trials in our lives to grow us. So when we consider that, when we take that into account, that whatever we're facing, um, God has allowed this into my life, and then we consider it. Why? Uh, well, God is going to use it to grow us, to strengthen us. So James is saying, as you're considering it, um, you know, knowing you, you know that God is up to something, that he's testing our faith. So what does James tell us to do? James says, hey, you know that the testing of your faith produces patience. So as that testing is going on, you know God is up to something. So now you're going to be patient. And, you know, that word patient is enduring. But at the same time, what James is saying through the Holy Spirit, he's telling them, as you're patient, basically he's saying, take your hands off the situation. Whatever is going on, whatever this trial is, hey, you know what? God is going to use it. You know that. So you know God is up to something. So take your hands off the situation. Be patient. Step back and let what God's doing take its course. Let God have his way. It's so important for us to do that. And that's what it says in verse 4. Let endurance have its perfect work. Take your hands off of the situation. Let God have his way. All right, so we can consider it all joy when we know that God is up to something. Right, and we can take our hands off the situation. We can be patient because we know God's doing something and we don't want to short circuit that. Right, and then the last thing in verse 5, that last word is, is ask. And, he, and James says, but if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. You know, you're going through this process. It's getting difficult. You don't really, really can't see what's happening yet, what God is up to. Well, the Bible says, ask God. Ask God for the wisdom. Ask him for the insight, and he'll give it to you. He'll give it to you. It's right, it's, right, it's right here in black and white. And you know what I like about the book of James? Think about this. He, he grew up with Jesus as his older brother. You know, we don't talk about it much, but think, 30 years growing up with Jesus. And, you know, I can almost see, in, uh, you know, just, in, just picturing it in my mind, here's James going up to Jesus and saying, 
bro, I don't, I don't know what's going on with the situation that I'm facing. And could you imagine Jesus is telling him this? Hey, don't worry about it. Everything's going to be okay. You know, God's using it. Just stay the course. Be patient. Let, let God, you know, let him have his way. You know, just the advice from his older brother, and now he's recording it for us. And Well, that's me speculating that, but it, it just seems that way, growing up with Jesus, going to him, that he would be telling them, you know, to, all right, let God have his way. God's doing something in your life. Be patient. Be patient. So, and that's really what uh, Paul is commending this church for, is being patient. You know, the challenge for us today is dealing with the pressures of life, the pressures of our society, the cultures, shifts that we face, and our assurance and our hope that Jesus is involved. You know, that's where we get our hope, that he's in control. Just like we read in these verses, James encouraging us to understand that God is in control. He's doing something. Let him have his way. You know, and that's what Paul is encouraging this church. God is in control. Let him have his way. You know, and how is that truth, God is in control, affecting our lives as the church? The application for us, is it seen in the way we live? You know, because if, if it's really a reality that's working out in our hearts, it's something that we totally are sold out and believe that God is in control. It's going to reflect in our lives. It's going to be seen in our lives. You know, it's a, really a challenge for us. And, you know, my prayer is that, you know, the Lord is commending us, this church, as he remembers our faith, of our work of faith, our labor of love, and our patience of our hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God, our, God and our Father, the return of Jesus. You know, that he would see that in the church, these, char <clears throat> these character traits, this commitment that we have. Oh, wow. All right, verse 4 and 5. Knowing, my beloved brethren, your election by God, for our God did not, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. So election... We, um, you know, we could talk about election um, for till Al gets here tonight to teach. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty broad topic, um, you know. But basically, Ephesians one four tells us that the doctrine of election teaches that God has chose us in Christ before the foundations of the world. All right, the doctrine um, of divine election confuses some people. And it frightens others. Yet neither response really is justified. Um, I found this quote from a, a seminary professor, and he commented on, on this doctrine. He said, try to explain election, and you might lose your mind, but explain it away, and you might lose your soul. We'll never totally understand the whole concept of election on this side of heaven but we shouldn't ignore the important doctrine that is taught throughout the Bible, and that's God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. When people ask me about um, election, I just tell them to go to John 3.16. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For me, that kind of settles the election thing, because whoever believes is part of the election. Last thought on that, at least. God's choice of us should energize us to obey and to serve him. Our choice of God challenges us to build lives worthy of him. And as you consider God's divine selection of you, how do you respond? I mean, when you think about it, God chose you. It's a pretty wild thought to think that God chose you. How do you respond to that? Something to think about. Verse 5, it says, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. So Paul's message was marked by the power of God through the work of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, saints, that's basically the standard operating procedure for how the Lord ministers and works in the church. And Jesus made it really clear to the disciples before he ascended into heaven that, you know, that they, you know, that they needed to, to function through the power of the Holy Spirit. In Luke 24, 49, Jesus told them, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And in Acts 1.8, just before Jesus ascended, he said to them, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So the church operating through the power of the Holy Spirit, that's just the way the church operates. That's the way God intended it to operate. And when Paul talked about the gospel in Romans 1, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 16, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God, the salvation for everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Greek. So Paul's message was marked not only by the power of the Holy Spirit and coming in power, but in much assurance and certainty. And he, Paul was convinced that the message, his, this message would change their lives, the church in Thessalonica, as it radically changed his life. And, you know, it got me thinking, you know, that's so true. The message that radically changed your life can and will radically change someone else's life. We just have to be willing to share it. And, you know, something that... Um, Pastor Richard's not in here, right? Oh, he can't hear me, right? Oh, good. No, he said something. He, um, he, was, he was on vacation from um, his job. He had the week off when school was out, and he spoke at um, the senior study. And it was interesting that, um, you know, he said that some of the folks that he talks to through the course of the day are are really not that comfortable sharing the gospel. They, they don't feel, um, you know, they just don't feel comfortable doing it. Not that they're, 
you know, ashamed of it. They just don't, for some reason, they just don't feel like it's the thing to do or they're intimidated maybe by the environment. But, you know, we, we can't feel that way, church. You know, we got to, you know, come to the realization, you know, the, the way God changed us is the way he's going to change others. And how did he change us? It was through the gospel. It was through, through the cross, us, us accepting Christ as our Savior. You know, somebody told me that. Somebody knocked on my door a long time ago. I don't forget. I think it was 2007, something like that. It was a long time ago. And, you know, they went out of their way to tell me that Jesus died for me. And it was just at the right time, the right place. But you know what? Think I might not be here if somebody didn't, if they didn't do that. You might not have been here if somebody didn't share the gospel with you. And you know, Paul is saying that you know it's you know it's it's not about us. You know, the message we're just sharing the message. The Holy Spirit's doing the rest. But you know what? We can't be ashamed of the gospel. Just like I just read out of Romans chapter one. Because it's the power of God unto salvation. You know, we have, um, we have the solution uh, to the world's problems. And doesn't it sound good when you think about it? I mean, if you really let that kind of sink in, you know, to think that, well, you know, I, I just got a, a high school education or maybe I got a GED. or I didn't even graduate from high school, but you know what? I know the word of God. I have the solution to all the world's problems. You know, these guys with doctorates and all of these different things before their name and after their name, um, they're having a hard time figuring it out. But you know what? You give your heart to the Lord, you open this book, and you allow the Holy Spirit to teach you, and all of a sudden you start to see some of the remedies for what's going on in this world. And I'm so thankful that it's just that simple. Because I, I'm not a very complicated person. So we're going to have to make some headway here. All right. Well, let's finish verse 5. And Paul says, And you know what kind of men we were among you for your sakes. Um, you know, this, when I read this, the first thing that came to my mind was Paul, if you... You know, remember the chronology in Acts. Before Paul went to Thessalonica, he was in Philippi. And you guys remember what happened in Philippi? There, Paul ends up in jail. Him and Silas end up in jail. They're beaten with rods. They're brought into jail, but they're brought to the very lowest part of the prison, the jail. And then they're put in stocks. Now, they're not the stocks like we saw with the pilgrims where you put your feet in and then your arms go in and you're kind of like sitting there. What they would do is they would spread your legs out as far as they could and then further and then a little further and then they would just lock them in place. So you would be, I mean, really, it's, pretty, it's excruciating pain, not to mention that you just were beaten with rods Right. And, you know, you know that, you know, Paul and Silas are praising the Lord 
the jail, all the doors open, the jailer gets saved, this whole family, you know, God does this awesome thing. And now the magistrates want to silently get Paul and Silas out of jail and kind of keep it low key. But when they come and tell them that they could leave, Paul says, no, wait a minute, we're not leaving until they come and let us out. So there's a, there's a few things in this picture that kind of stuck out in my mind that would, um, would make me feel and understand why that um, this church would be so accepting of Paul and Silas and his, his traveling guy, companions with him. So think about it. Paul doesn't want the church to think that they actually did something wrong, that they were arrested for something that had to do with the church and that would stifle the growth of the church. So Paul said, oh, no, we didn't do anything wrong, so have them come and let us out. Because word got out that they were Roman citizens, so they knew that the magistrates knew they were in trouble. So Paul is sending a message to the church in Philippi, hey, look, we didn't do anything, and this, this is evident by, these, by the magistrates coming and letting us out. But think of the other part. They're, I've never been beaten with rods. But I've never been put in stocks. But I'm assuming it must hurt, right? There's got to be some, some pain involved with that. And I was trying to put it in perspective. So Paul gets out of prison. Silas gets out of prison. And they leave Philippi, and they head to Thessalonica. And I thought, okay, what, what, what must that have been like? And then I thought, it's 100 miles from... Philippi to Thessalonica. It's about 80 miles or so from here to Buffalo. So try to picture this in your mind. You're, you're a pastor and you're planning churches in New York State. Well, you're here in Rochester. You get accused of something. You get beaten and thrown in jail, put in stocks. You end up getting released the next day. And then to continue the ministry, you have to walk to Buffalo. And now you show up in Buffalo with these marks of being beaten and persecuted, but yet you start to just share the gospel. And you know, these people are looking at you and saying, this, this, these guys are the real deal. I mean, there's got to be something to this for these men to go through this, to be beaten, to be persecuted, and come and share the very message that got them thrown into jail. They saw the authenticity of Paul and Silas and Luke and the, the, the guys that were in this group. And you know what, church? People are looking for the authenticity of the church, the reality of who Jesus is in our lives. And, you know, no matter what we go through, we still need to let Jesus shine through. You know, and it goes back to, you know, Paul commending them for their patience, for their, that, that labor of love, for that work of the, the work of faith. You know, it's all part of, you know, Christ-likeness being developed in us. And it's just so important for us to understand that. And we're not, we're not going to be able to, to get into this we're not obviously going to finish, but I want to just read. Let me just read the last four verses in this chapter. 
And this is really, once again, it's a beautiful picture of sanctification. You know, we're going to see that, well, let's just read this just so we can get through it. I'm not going to be able to comment a lot on it. So, uh, you know, please um, do a little reading on your own through the rest of this. But at the end of verse 5, it ends as, and as you know what kind of men we were, we just talked about that. So in, in knowing that, what kind of men that they were, listen to the results. And you became followers or imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples or you became a pattern or a model to all in Macedonia and Achaia. So Macedonia is the northern province of Greece. Achaia is the southern province of Greece. So basically, they became imitators or followers of Paul and Silas and Luke and that whole crew of guys. Um, you know, they became imitators or followers of them and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction and with joy of the Holy Spirit. And to the extent that they became examples, a pattern or a model to all of, the, all of those in Macedonia and Achaia who believed. Think about that, church. You know, we are called to be an example to this community. We're called to be an example to our workplace. We're called to be an example to our family. You know, we're called to be an example. And all we're doing is imitating Christ. That's what Paul is saying. You know, Paul says that, you know, you became followers of us and of the Lord. He's just giving the the sequence of events. They heard Paul first, then they accepted the Lord. He's, Paul isn't saying putting himself first before the Lord, right? Because in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul said that, you know, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. You know, so, you know, Paul is, you know, telling them and, you know, just showing us, really, that there are followers of them, as he says, followers of us, and having the word and much affliction in the Holy Spirit, that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia. So he says in verse 8, for from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, and it's, that sounded forth is like reverberated or echoed through that whole region. Think about that. Just sharing the word of God and just hearing like Jesus, 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 just echoing through the, that whole region, you know, their example, their boldness, their willingness to just live out their faith with no inhibitions. They, they, affliction, persecution, it didn't make a difference. People calling them names, whatever. You know what? They were just sold out. And Paul is commending them for that. And church, you know, I, I pray that the Lord would commend us for us being faithful to this call that we have uh, on our lives as believers. And in verse 8, uh, it's, it's really interesting the way this thing plays out. It says, for from you, the word of the Lord had sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place. Your faith toward God had gone out so that we do not even need to say anything. 
remember when we talked about this city, it's located on the Ignatian, Ignatian Trail, that route from Rome all the way to the Orient. It's a main seaport. So, I mean, these, I mean, people were hearing and seeing the gospel lived out in this church. They were sharing the gospel, and these people were going all over the globe, bringing the gospel with them. And this, listen to the extent that they did. So your faith toward God had gone out so that we do not need to say anything. In verse 9 it says, Paul says, For they themselves, those people that Paul ran into, those people that Paul interacted with, they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned from God to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Paul is hearing from others the faith of the Thessalonians and what the Thessalonians were saying about Paul and how they came to faith. I mean, these guys were like just totally in love with Jesus, totally in love with the gospel, just totally totally committed and just understanding that, man, I, I want to just share this. I want to just share this. And that word traveled, not, not just in that region, really, from the Orient all the way to Rome. And we know that um, that's, the, that's happened. We see that even in the end of Acts, the end of the book of Acts, when Paul gets to Rome, Paul was never in Rome, but when he got to Rome, he was greeted by believers. You know, we don't, we don't know the extent of how far the gospel is going to be spread or heard, even just from us. You know, here's a church that was faithful in that work of faith, that labor of love, right? And then just patiently enduring, but persevering in the Lord, the impact that they had. And, you know, just want to leave you with that thought. You have, guys, you have no idea, no idea what the Lord is going to do with your testimony. What the Lord is going to do with the few scriptures you share. You know, you have no idea what the Lord is going to do with your example at work, your example here, your willingness to get plugged into some different ministries. Don't ever underestimate the power of God, and that's what we do when we think that, well, you know, I'm going to share a couple verses, you know, is that going to make a difference? Or, you know, I'm going to, you know, go out with Russ and, you know, help, you know, hand out some, you know, some bags of food or whatever, we, we just saw the results. Infinite, you guys can finish the chapter. You're, you see the results of a church that just believes the word of God and just starts living it out. Regardless of what's going on in the church, regardless of what was happening in Thessalonica, you know, the persecution, whatever, the culture, they didn't, it wasn't a concern. They were faithful to preach the word, to live it out, to be an example, and God did some awesome things. And I pray that that's, you know, that kind of resonates with you individually. You know, because it takes 
a toe and a foot and an arm and an eye and an ear to, to make up the body of Christ. I don't know, um, you know, I, don't, I wouldn't even mind if I was a toe, right? right? As long as we're a part of the body of Christ is the point. And to just allow the Lord to use you. Allow, you know, I mean, what a privilege. What a privilege to be called a Christian. What a privilege to be entrusted with the gospel, especially in the times that we live in today. You know, we have an opportunity to make a difference, a huge difference. We have an opportunity to speak the word to people and have that word set them free by the power of the Holy Spirit. You do. We do. And you know what? If you want things to change, um, sure, of course, vote. But if you want things to change, pray. Pray and pray. And then get in the word. And then just, hey, if God said it, that settles it. And if God's put his finger on an area of your life or wants to get you plugged in someplace, I mentioned it last week, go for it. Go for it. You have nothing to lose and so much to gain for the, for the kingdom. So um, we're going to pray. Um, if you've got any difficulty with anything I said, see my wife. Uh, she's in the back. No, I'm just saying. <laughs> but anyhow, church... Um, you know, I just pray that you guys are, um, you know, willing and ready to get in the trenches and start, you know, start really doing um, some serious business for the Lord. Uh, Father, thank you so much for your word and, and Lord, just preserving it for us and us being able to look into the church in Thessalonica and just see their heart, their uh, tenacity, their um, commitment to you, their willingness to just labor in love and that, that work of faith, Lord, and just being um, willing to endure um, whatever came their way for the sake of the gospel. And uh, Lord, I pray that, that we could see us in that account, that we could see us here um, in our community, um, in our workplace, wherever you have us plugged in, um, just emulating that to be, be a pattern like they were um, to that region in Greece, that we could be that pattern or example uh, wherever you have us planted. So we thank you for that. I pray, God, that you would fill us all to overflowing with your spirit, Lord, and just continue to challenge us and to use us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord.